Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 284. Thank you so much for joining us. Today we are going to be diving into the preview for Velocicoaster, the newest attraction coming to Universal Orlando Resort, opening formally for the grand opening on June 10th. We had the chance to ride it just a few weeks ago during the annual Passholder previews, and we have not been able to stop talking about it since. And so we thought it would be great. We're not the biggest Jurassic Park fans, and so we thought it'd be great to do some research and try to get some of these major plot points out there to try to enhance your very first ride on Velocicoaster whenever that may be. Hopefully sooner rather than later. At the very end of the episode as well, we will be sharing our review of Velocicoaster, but we will alert you beforehand, so if you're trying to avoid any spoilers, this will be a spoiler-free zone until we tell you otherwise. And then the other thing that we want to do before we get started is last month we promised you that we would be updating you on new things that we try each and every month. We don't have too much to cover, but we do have a few things that we want to share with you before we get into Velocicoaster today. And finally, we want to thank our travel agent sponsor for this episode, Hannah Little. Last night, if you're following on Instagram, we actually had the chance to meet Hannah and her husband, Clayton, had some dinner with them at the Boathouse and hung out in Disney Springs. She is so kind. She has helped us book our Disneyland trip. She helped us book our cruise on the Disney Wish coming up next year. And she has been so wonderful to work with. And she's such a big Disney fan, and we are so thankful for our partnership with her. So if you are looking to have that stress-free experience of booking an upcoming vacation, maybe it's to Universal or a cruise, Disneyland, Disney World, whatever it might be, Hannah can walk you through that process and make sure that you are set up for success. And of course, as always, her services are 100% free. So if you are interested in that, head to littlebitofdisney.com. Fill out that free quote there, and she will be in touch with you to get that ball rolling. You can also reach that link down in the show notes below. So, Catherine, the month of May, it's been a little busy for us. School year is winding down for you. We're kind of in that ready position, ready to hit summer with the feet on the ground. So we didn't do as many new things, but we did do some new dining experiences in May. Which one stood out to you? Oh man. So eating is our favorite thing to do. So we decided, I guess twice before going to Magic Kingdom, that we are going to try out some new restaurants, both over at the Grand Floridian and both were knockouts. I would recommend both of these. The first one we tried was Gasparilla Grill. I hope I'm saying that right. Gasparilla Island Grill, I believe. Island Grill. Tropical. It didn't feel that tropical, but that's okay. Um, There, what did you get? You had the better item. I had the hot Italian sandwich. It came with fries, and then we got a side of mac and cheese as well. The mac and cheese was amazing. We were very skeptical. 
because especially, in, you know, if you go to like a quick service and they claim that it's homemade macaroni and cheese, it's like, is it, is it homemade? This seemed to be homemade. It was everything that you'd want out of a mac and cheese. I got the grilled cheese and the tomato soup. I know it sounds odd because it was May, but I just really wanted it and it was good as well. I think Brendan's was better, but I would definitely go back. We barely waited at all. We were the only people eating inside. It was nice and air conditioned. We had the whole place to ourselves. It was great. And I would say if you are on the fence about the macaroni and cheese, at least get the little side of it, which is what we did. But when we got the little side of it, we said next time we're getting one entree, probably the hot Italian sandwich, Mm -hmm. and the full order of the mac and cheese to split that because it was that good. I was also, this might be a weird thing to mention, but I was also very impressed with their drink selection. Like they had a lot. They had, I think, lots of different kinds of tea, green tea, iced tea, sweet tea, whatever you wanted. And then just like all the other fountain drinks. I even got something in a bottle. I don't remember what it was, but they had a large variety, which I feel like is nice, especially at a resort. So Gasparilla Island Grill is a wonderful option. I think if you are looking for a midday break from Magic Kingdom or maybe you're going there, park hopping there, lots of different ways that you can get there. You can just take the monorail from the TTC or uh, walk from Magic Kingdom or a variety of other ways, but that's probably the two that stand out to me. And that is now, well, I mean, I guess that walkway has always been open, but the walk from the TTC to the Grand Floridian is not bad at all. We love it. We love that little walking path. So the second place that we went to this month was, again, at the Grand Floridian. And it was the Grand Floridian Cafe, which is not necessarily new to us, but this time we tried it for brunch, which is new. And it was to die for. We were so impressed. And we've heard good things before. My sister raves about it all the time because she loves their avocado toast. We did not get the avocado toast, but I think both of the things that we got were slam dunks. I got the chicken and waffle, which I love a good chicken and waffle. Everyone probably loves a good chicken and waffle. How could you not? And it was kind of like a hot chicken and waffle, right? Well, that's how they advertised it, to be honest. It came with like, it. they called it a sriracha honey drizzle. It was heavy on the honey, not so much sriracha but it was still pretty good. It gave it a little extra something. But the chicken was amazing. It came with two huge pieces of chicken. I almost finished it. Not quite. Very close. But the best part was that the waffle was not an ordinary waffle. It was, in fact, a Mickey waffle, which is not the case everywhere that you go. My sister got the chicken and waffle at Olivia's, which is another of our favorite brunch places, And it was just a normal plain Jane waffle. So it was an unexpected surprise and it was awesome. And I got the buttermilk pancakes breakfast and it came with some eggs and some bacon, I believe, or sausage patty, something like that. You got a choice. Yeah. And it was excellent as well. I mean, there were pancakes. That's what I was feeling that morning. (laughs) Yours was probably a little more on brand or on theme for a Disney day, but can't go wrong with some pancakes. And then they do bring you biscuits as well that come with whipped butter, which why is butter ever served any other way besides whipped is my question. Yeah, whipped butter is just the way to go. We also got the Grand Floridian blend of the Joffrey's coffee that they have there in the French press. 
and it was outstanding. French press is the way to go at every sit-down restaurant that has their own unique blend. Well, and honestly, Olivia's, we got it, and they don't have a unique Joffrey's blend there, and it was fantastic, but... You get a good deal for what you pay for. I think it was like $9. We both got like a ha- a cup and maybe a half. At Olivia's, for some reason, we seemed to get more. I don't know why, but it was really good. We loved it. So the moral of the story is that Grand Floridian Cafe, which is always a mouthful for us, <laughs> Grand Flow Cafe, that's what we're going to call it, is quickly becoming one of our go-to spots. It is pretty decent value. You can always find a reservation there. You know, in pretty short notice. The ambiance is great. It's nice to be able to walk through that Grand Floridian lobby to make you feel a little fancier than you actually are. So I would highly recommend Grand Flow Cafe to anybody looking for a nice little spot that's a little bit nicer than a quick service, but it's not overly fancy and it's not stuffy like other places in the Grand Floridian, I don't think. Yeah, I completely agree. Can you think of anything else new that we tried? We did try the Watermelon Dole Whip at Disney Springs just this past weekend, and that is a game changer. Yeah, that just knocked it out of the park. It was was more watermelon flavored than I expected. And I know that that probably sounds weird, but it was heavy on the watermelon. We actually compared it to like a watermelon bubblegum flavor. If anybody grew up chewing like double bubble watermelon, that it's the same flavor. Yeah. So whatever artificial dye that they put into that, they put into this. You don't think double bubble is organic? I'm going to go with a no. I'm going to say no on that one. But it was amazing. I would get it again. I dare say it's better than pineapple. It was amazing. Yeah. I might have to agree on that one. Bold words. But you need to go and you need to try it. So really what we're trying to get people is more people to patron it so that it becomes a mainstay. Yeah, year-round offering. That would be great. We did not get it in the taco, makeshift taco of the watermelon wedge, but just got it. And you can get it as a parfait as well, right? Yes. I know that's what you're about to say. I'm sorry. That's what I was about to say. You're right. But we just got in a cup and it was really, really good. I can't think of anything else new that we tried in the month of May. We did finally have our tachos at Woody's Lunchbox. It was our first time in, I think, a year. Yeah. They were good. We still prefer the breakfast tachos at Woody's Lunchbox. And I think that might be about it for new stuff that we tried. Yeah, I think it is. We went back to Primo Piatto again, so that's becoming a mainstay for us that's located at disney's riviera resort that has now become our go-to whenever we don't want to eat in hollywood studios and it it's a hit every single time it is so velocicoaster preview i think let's start with just an overview of jurassic park and this jurassic franchise i guess combining the two of them together up to this point there have been five movies in total in this franchise There are three centering around Jurassic Park, two around Jurassic World, and then the latest installment, which will be the finale of all of this, releases next year on June 10th, 2022, 
which I think is interesting. It's exactly one year after Velocicoaster opens on June 10th, 2021. So do you think that was intentional? I mean, it's too perfect to not be intentional. Typically, I would say no, but like they could have picked any day, literally any day. Obviously, it's ready. They could have released it earlier. So I do have to think that it was intentional. The other thing that was interesting is that before Jurassic World Dominion, that's the name of the last movie of this, got delayed because of COVID. It was actually supposed to release on June 11th, 2021. So it was going to be back-to-back Velocicoaster opening and the new movie releasing. I don't know. Like, Are there any tie-ins? Is that where you were going? That's where I think. No, I just think that they were trying to dominate that news weekend. Oh, well, probably. But now they get two, which might be better for them. The rumor is that that accompanying Velocicoaster's grand opening is that we will get a new teaser trailer for the movie. So just to give you a synopsis of when these movies released, Jurassic Park, very first movie based on the novel, released in 1993. Second movie is The Lost World, Jurassic Park, 1997. Followed up in 2001 by Jurassic Park 3. Then they took 14 years off. Jurassic World came back in 2015. We got Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in 2018. And then like we previously mentioned, 2022 will end this entire series. And the director of Jurassic World Dominion said that this is not only a conclusion to the sequel trilogy of Jurassic World, but it's a conclusion to the entire Jurassic franchise. So it's interesting. There's maybe going to be some tie-ins to some of these old characters that we haven't seen from or or seen or heard of in quite some time. And just to be completely transparent with you all, we have never seen Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. No, we haven't. Yeah, we were doing our research and it was kind of difficult because we're reading about things that we hadn't watched yet. I mean, Brendan already said at the very beginning of the episode, we are by no means huge Jurassic Park or Jurassic World fans. We've seen most of the movies, I guess, and we enjoy this part of the park. And obviously, we loved Velocicoaster, which is kind of why we wanted to do some more research. But I do think it just goes to show that you can enjoy the ride and completely understand it without being a huge fan, which is nice. I dare say that if you are a gigantic Jurassic Park or Jurassic World fan, you are probably leaps and bounds past us at this point. And you, this I think is more meant to be an introductory. Maybe people like us that they're familiar with the franchise to a certain extent, but we want to point out just some plot points and some storytelling from the movies that are really going to enhance your experience whenever you ride this attraction. Some Easter eggs that you'll be able to pick up along the way, or just some understanding of these characters and maybe the dynamics of how they're all at work whenever this ride is taking place and whenever they invite us in. So let's start. We think we broke it down into two sections. I think you need to understand the transition between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World to really understand this. And then you also need to understand the characters from Jurassic World. We're going to cover some of the characters from Jurassic Park as well, but obviously the characters from Jurassic World are going to be the ones that show up on this experience on Velocicoaster. 
Yes. So starting with Jurassic Park, just as a very brief synopsis of everything that took place, it's a safari amusement park of genetically engineered dinosaurs on a remote island. This island is called Isla Nublar. And that might be the last time that you hear me say that on this episode, because during research, when I was trying to figure out exactly how to pronounce it, I found so many threads on Twitter and Reddit and on YouTube of people arguing about how to pronounce this. So we went with Isla Nublar. You may have heard a different pronunciation, but in Jurassic World, whenever Claire's nephews are sailing in to Jurassic World, there is a recording that says Isla Nublar. So that's what we're going with. Sounds solid to me. So Jurassic Park premise is that, of course, it's on this island and an engine, which we still see that today. You still will see some references to engine in both the Tribute Store and Universal right now and on Velocicoaster. Basically, it's the company that is running Jurassic Park. They have an employee that is trying to move a Velociraptor between different enclosures, trying to get him into a more secure enclosure. He's attacked and he's killed. At that point, the family of this employee sues Ingen, which sparks a lot of different things taking place. But really the point that you would need to know is that the investors, and really just one investor is the one that we see most often, become scared about the safety of Jurassic Park. And they are threatening that they might pull out and that they might not want to fund this park opening up to the public. So the CEO of InGen at that point, John Hammond, who you are probably familiar, you've seen him before. I will say there's a very, very nice statue of him right now at the very end of the tribute store in Universal. He brings in a group of scientists to examine the parks in hopes of regaining the trust of the investor. And I guess it implies that there's multiple investors as well, but really just one guy. They're trying to get like the seal of approval that they can move forward with this park. So it introduces some characters that you're not necessarily going to see on Velocicoaster, but you may need to be just familiar with these names for the purpose of going through the queue. So Dr. Alan Grant, who is played by Sam Neill, Dr. Ellie Sattler, who's played by Laura Dern. Catherine, who does Laura Dern play? Oh, gosh. How am I supposed to know that? She's in Star Wars. That's your hint. Well, I don't know. Vice Admiral Holdo. I literally would have never gotten that. And she also, we listen to the Calm app whenever we go to sleep at night a lot of times. She is one of the speakers on the Calm app. I would have been more likely to know that, honestly. Doctor, we, love, we love the Calm app. <laughs> we are not sponsored by the Calm app, but <laughs> we would like to be. We just love it. Dr. Ian Malcolm, who is played by Jeff Goldblum, and the investor's lawyer, Donald Gennaro, played by Martin Ferrero. So basically, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different things that happen in the plot, but a very long story short here, but there's a tropical cyclone hits Isla Nublar, and it allows Dennis, who's played by Wayne Knight, who you are probably familiar with him from Seinfeld, to come in. And he's kind of like the uh, fox or the snake. He has 
Ulterior motives. Ulterior motives. He's being influenced by Injun's rivals. And so basically he's bribed to go in and he shuts down all of the security system on Jurassic Park and it allows the T-Rex to break free. And when we say security system, we're talking about like the electric fences, anything that would keep these dinosaurs in where they're supposed to be. So the whole system has gone dark. An important plot point that I think benefits to the story of Velocicoaster as well is that initially the Velociraptors are not set free by Dennis. And so the T-Rex is basically the head predator walking around Jurassic Park. He's obviously trying to hunt all these humans, but he's also you know, terrorizing all kinds of other things. Eventually, the raptors get out as well. They start hunting the T-Rex and the raptors are fighting, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the movie, the humans, Dr. Hammond, Dr. Grant, Dr. Ian Malcolm, Dr. Sattler, are all able to escape via a helicopter. And they all agree, hey, this is not a great idea. Obviously, things went horribly, horribly wrong, and we are not ready to open this up to the public. And there's a lot of plot points missing there, and it's obviously an excellent movie, but it's the basis of what you need to know about Jurassic Park. So there are, there is a Jurassic Park 2 and 3, and, but it's important to note that Jurassic World, which released back in 2015, which introduced these new characters with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, it's actually set up as a sequel directly to Jurassic Park. So The Lost World, which is Jurassic Park 2, and Jurassic Park 3 are both still canon to the franchise, but more or less Jurassic World just kind of doesn't acknowledge their existence, which is a little bit confusing, but but basically just, you know, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World moves on, and it all takes place on this same fictional island of Isla Nublar. It's located off the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. And what Jurassic World is symbolizing is that Dr. Hammond's original idea has come to fruition. All of these years later, they have different leadership come in. Bryce Dallas Howard's character of Claire Deering is the park director. She has come in and they have this successful dinosaur amusement park. And that is really as far as we have to take the story to understand Velocicoaster. Would you agree? I would agree because that's kind of where you are being inserted into the story is that it is operational and it is successful. And that is why you as the guest are continuing to be invited in. It's kind of the way that I would interpret that. So I think it's appropriate to stop there so that we don't give away the plot of Jurassic World if you want to watch those movies. And yeah, I mean, that's that's now the timeline that we're in. Yeah. So that's a perfect setup to now start to talk about these characters. So Brendan already mentioned you have Owen Grady, who is Chris Pratt. You have Claire Deering, who is Bryce Dallas Howard. And then another character who I thought was very important to this story um, is Dr. Henry Wu. And then, of course, you have the raptor pack. There are four raptors, Blue, Charlie, Delta, and Echo. 
And Brendan and I got into an argument that they are all different colors, apparently, so that you can actually identify which raptor you are looking at. And blue is considered to be the leader of the pack. Yes, but we'll get to that here in a second. So first, let's talk about Owen Grady, Chris Pratt. What we know about him is that he's a former member of the U.S. Navy, and he is brought into Jurassic World to be the animal behaviorist, um, and he is supposed to be the Velociraptor trainer. So his start with InGen is that he was hired to be part of the security department. So again, making sure that everything is safe, making sure that these animals can be contained in a way so that they're not a threat to the guests. And his job was to study these Velociraptors who over time had gotten more and more intelligent. You know, they started to outsmart the trainers, basically, which would be a big security problem. So their goal was to try to figure out, okay, can these Velociraptors be trained? And then to take it a step farther, if they could be trained, can they be trained to follow orders for the purposes of warfare? So again, we can kind of start to see some maybe not so great intentions with engine or with some of these executives. And that kind of goes with his background for maybe why he was chosen for this role, because he has a background in the U.S. Navy. So basically in the attraction, you can kind of see him in that same role. He's the primary trainer of the Raptors. So he's kind of called into the presentation to make sure that you know what's going on in the paddocks. And you get to see kind of his take on what's happening. And he's very reluctant. I was going to say, I don't know how much we should share, but he is rather reluctant. Um, You get to see his personality. And of course, you get to see him interacting with the Velociraptors, which is cool because that's what you see in the movie too. So the relationship is still there. Next, you have Claire Deering, who is Bryce Dallas Howard. And like Brennan said, she's the park operations manager of Jurassic World up until the 2015 incident. Which we are not going to talk about because that spoils Jurassic World if somebody wants to go watch it. And this takes place before that. I can see how we're going to keep running into this. So if you want to go watch Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom and you don't want any spoilers, then skip ahead like 45 seconds and we will just briefly talk about where those movies go but it's important to note that that's not where this ride takes place this ride takes place basically before jurassic world the movie or maybe during the middle of it but probably before so in jurassic world the indominus rex gets out of its enclosure and wreaks havoc on the entire island allowing other animals to get loose it's basically the same story as jurassic park and well, which is why it's the sequel. So all of the people have to flee the island and Jurassic World is closed at the end of the first movie. The second movie, Fallen Kingdom, is that there is a volcano on Isla Nebula and it is erupting. And so Claire and Owen and other team members are going back in to try to save the dinosaurs or at least get the DNA so that they, you know, don't lose it forever. And obviously Owen has different 
things that he's worried about because he cares for the velociraptors and other all kinds of ulterior motives going on. And then at the very end of that movie, the dinosaurs are basically set free and they are now in civilization. So there's a scene where the T-Rex is meeting a lion that's in a zoo in New York. So lots of things going on there, but I wanted to clear that up because we're going to keep running into this of trying not to say too much. So now it's out there. But Velocicoaster itself takes place most likely, and they haven't said, but most likely right before Jurassic World, the movie starts. That makes a lot more sense, actually. Yes. See, I was confused. So I can't be the only one. Maybe I was the only one, but it can't just be me. So Claire Deering, as the park operations manager, it's obviously very professional. She's very straightforward. She has a plan for what you're about to experience in the paddocks. And basically her role is that she is sharing that information. She's welcoming you with the other scientists. And she calls on Owen to share his professional opinion. And that's where you can kind of see their different takes on what is about to happen. She, of course, is very excited because she knows that the people want the teeth. They want that up-close encounter. and She's explaining that that is what you are getting, is that you are getting to be closer to these raptors than you've ever had the opportunity to before. So she's excited. She's all for it. So the third person that I think is very important, and this is probably the person that I had the most fun researching because I think he's very interesting, was Dr. Henry Wu. So he's the chief scientist and he's the genetic engineer behind all of these dinosaur creations from InGen. He has a longstanding history with both Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, so he's like an interesting bridge between these two franchises. And basically, when all of this dinosaur DNA was found, he proposed that he could clone these dinosaurs by filling in all of the missing parts of their DNA with DNA from other species. Some of the scientists liked this idea. Some of them did not. Ultimately, InGen went with his idea because it saved them money and it was a much faster process. So despite some of the pushback from other scientists, in 1986, the first dinosaur was cloned using DNA from a reed frog. And that allowed Dr. Henry Wu to put a couple precautions in place. It allowed him to make all the dinosaurs female so that was part of the cloning that he wanted to do particularly. But he also wanted to put kind of like a fail safe in place with these dinosaurs so that they couldn't produce lysine. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, but without it, they would die. So they basically had to supplement it in their food. And, you know, if something happened, if they realized something was going wrong, they would take it away. The dinosaurs would fall into a coma and then they would ultimately die protecting everyone on the island. However, a couple things went wrong. The reed frog apparently could change genders if need be, and that's what started to happen with the dinosaurs. So some of these female dinosaurs changed to be male dinosaurs, and they started to reproduce, and everything kind of fell apart from that. Um, it was a rather large mistake, but because he was so smart and because he was very much involved in InGen. 
he continued to be promoted, and he's the one who actually created the Indominus Rex, which we just talked about. Ultimately, his role in the attraction is that he, similar to his role in the movies, he's giving guests a brief history of these velociraptors, the paddocks, and he's providing safety information. Although, honestly, I don't know if I trust him. You forgot the coolest part about Henry Wu. What's the coolest part? He's played by B.D. Wong. And if you tell me you don't know who B.D. Wong is, we're going to have big problems, ma'am. I know exactly who that is. Oh, really? What's he known for? Oh, You can't put me on a spot like that. <laughs> He's in Law & Order SVU. He was Shang in Mulan. Oh, well, that's disappointing. I wish I knew that. Now I know. Now the rest of us know. But yeah, so he has a pretty big role, and it's interesting. You can see him kind of grow up throughout these different movies since he's been with the franchise for such a long time, which I enjoy. B.D. Wong is the man. He is. He's pretty cool, although he created a lot of chaos with Injun, but I guess we could forgive him. So last but not least, we have the raptor pack. So we already established that there are four raptors here. All of these raptors were trained by Owen Grady, basically from the beginning of their lives when they were in the nursery. And all of that had been documented. Each of these velociraptors have a distinct personality. Like we said earlier, Blue is the smartest of all of them. But something else that she was designed to have was empathy. And that's why she has such a special relationship with Owen. Even when like they were in the nursery, it was said that part of their training is that Owen would make these pretend cry sounds to see what would happen. And the other raptors would continue to attack Owen, probably because they thought he was wounded and that, you know, signs of weakness. But Blue was the only one who would kind of go up to him and nuzzle him and try to comfort him. So... When all four of these raptors were brought together for training, obviously the other three did not care about listening to what Owen had to say, but Blue was the one who kind of would get them in line, make them follow, so she is definitely the alpha. And of course, in the attraction, the whole premise here is that you are getting up close and personal with these raptors. Yeah, so to kind of take that a step further, the premise is is that they are all hungry and that you are going to witness and tag along with them on a live raptor hunt. And obviously Owen has reservations about that and different things that you will experience throughout the queue will make it seem like maybe this isn't such a great idea, but InGen and Claire still want to push forward with the experience. Well, and what's interesting is not only does Owen like show some hesitation, but historically raptors have not been very friendly towards people. If you think about, like you said, in the original Jurassic Park movie, it was a velociraptor that kind of put things into a tailspin when they attacked and killed the keeper, right? So it is kind of funny that it's like we're coming full circle, oh, let's put a bunch of people in the cage now. So again, just thinking about the history and knowing the history 
of Jurassic Park kind of allows you to see maybe where he's coming from also. So there's a couple of plot points that I do think you will, you maybe will have questions about. Some of them we can sort of give explanations for. Some of them you're just going to have to overlook. Probably the one that you're going to have to overlook the most is that Jurassic World's Velocicoaster is set within Jurassic Park in Universal Orlando right now. Now, the speculation is is that eventually all of this will be updated to be Jurassic World and all of the references to Jurassic Park will be gone. They, so like you're going to walk through the big archway saying, welcome to Jurassic Park. You can go on Jurassic River Adventure that has a lot of references to Jurassic Park as well. But even whenever we were going to ride the attraction, we were both wearing Jurassic Park t-shirts. The team members even said like, why are you representing that extinct park? Like, don't you know that's that we, outdated. yeah, that's outdated and now it's Jurassic World. So you're going to have to overlook that a little bit. I mean, the way that I'm kind of viewing it in my mind is as soon as you turn the pathway down to go towards Velocicoaster, then you're in Jurassic World instead of park. And it is a very different look. So, you know, it is very modern, sleek lines, lots of lights. You know, they do a good job of kind of separating the two which would lead you to believe that eventually they would want the rest of that area to look similar because it is pretty cool, but it is like a old versus new. And it's kind of a weird mindset to put yourself into. The other thing is the timelines. We've kind of talked about it quite a bit already, but you know, this has to take place either during the movie or right before the movie. Because if not, there is no more Jurassic World to reference. So I think you just kind of have to keep that in mind. There's a there's some, you know, there's some issues there. But for all intents and purposes, I think it smooths over pretty well. I mean, and of course, there's a lot you can overlook with a really cool roller coaster. So let's talk about our review, and I think now is the time that if you are completely wanting to avoid any spoilers beforehand, then we will chat with you on Thursday. Yes, thanks for listening. <laughs> but now we will kind of talk about some of the details and specifics of what we liked about the attraction going forward. So, I mean, to me, I think one of the biggest things is just that it is, for a roller coaster, it is so immersive. And in the past, we've talked about story coasters. You know, I think Hagrid's does such a beautiful job of being a story coaster. We expect that Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind is going to be a story coaster. And this is a story coaster in the same way, you know, where they're not asking you to be transported anywhere. Like, they're not asking you to take a leap of faith. Like, they put you directly in Jurassic World into the Discovery Center, and that's what you're going to do. And you're in the full operation of Jurassic World. And I think from that standpoint, the story fits in so nicely. Specifically about the attraction itself, the smoothness of this thing is impeccable. Yeah. It is absolutely unbelievable how smooth this attraction is. Where you're going 70 miles an hour... But it does not, it feels like it, but you don't feel it, if that makes sense. 
It's, yeah. I mean, it's such a unique feeling because you know you're going fast, but you're not being jostled around. You don't feel like a bobblehead. You, it doesn't necessarily take your breath away in the same kind of way that maybe like the Hulk or rock and roller coaster does because it's not jarring, I guess, but you get so many thrills. There's drops and turns, barrel rolls, and hello, just a lap bar. We can't not talk about just having a lap bar. Yeah, so no overhead restraints is a wild, wild feeling. And your butts do come out of the seats a little bit because you're not being pushed down by your shoulders. And it's not to the point that I think you ever feel like you're going to fly out. It's just a completely different way of experiencing a roller coaster, I think. And it's so funny, too, because I pushed that thing down so far, like completely suctioned in there. No way that I'm leaving. I do like that on there, you know, there are handles that you can still hold on to. So you do still feel fairly secure, like leaving, like pulling out of the gate. I felt good. But it's still wild when they hold you upside down on this barrel roll. And it's almost like you're floating. It's a weird sensation. We have to talk about the cue as well. The There's no way you can convince me that we didn't see a real-life raptor. Well, we saw four. So you're right. We didn't see one. We saw four. And what I would say if you're going to ride this is, you know— now it's going to have a pretty long wait pretty much every time. But if you happen to, you know, rope drop it and you're one of the first people in line, take in every single little detail that you can. Even if you're not, if you are a Jurassic Park expert and Jurassic World expert, there are tons of little hidden Easter eggs. I know there's a book by Dr. Ian Malcolm and there's other little, you know, nods to the franchise but every room has something very, very interesting for you to experience or that adds to the story that's being told to you. And then at the very, very last room before you board, that's where you have Claire and Owen kind of doing the final pitch and explaining why you are there. Yeah, and just that you're there to be a part of this great hunt And you're getting to see the personality of the raptors. You're getting to see the personality of, you know, all these different scientists who are working together. And it's a, I mean, it's a very cohesive storyline from beginning to end. Like you said, you can't convince me that we weren't in Jurassic World. You know, that we did not experience everything that they set out for us to experience. So we did get to experience this during technical rehearsals. So we need to go ride again just to see if anything has changed because I think it has. So the first initial launch sequence, they you are basically surrounded by screens on both sides of you. Now, I was too scared to look because it's one of those things where, you know, they told me to put my head back. I'm going to put my head back. You can, when you first get put into that scene, you can look around and I'm definitely going to do that next time because you can feel it pull back before you get launched and that would be your signal to put your head back. But on both sides of you, you are in the paddocks and basically that's the breakout scene. That's where you see that they've let the velociraptors loose. You are on the hunt now and what Owen 
was afraid of at the very beginning is that they didn't pick up the scent of what you're hunting. They picked up your scent. And that's the issue and the premise of the ride that's kind of spoiler heavy is that they are chasing you instead of their prey throughout. There's a couple things that I maybe wish they would have done a little bit differently. Like it'd be cool to see like what the actual prey was. <laughs> what were they supposed to eat? Wasn't it, it was like a pig? Well, in the, in the original, first movie, well, they lowered down a cow. Was it a cow? Okay, maybe a cow. I think some sort of farm animal. Yeah, I mean, like, and obviously you don't want anything too graphic. Oh but, God, no, no, no. But it could just like a little nod to that could have been cool, and then. The only other thing that I can think of is that when we went, the Velociraptors were stationary whenever you go throughout. So they are different statues that you see. Now, they look like statues to us. We have heard that they actually are animatronics, but they have not turned them on yet. So maybe that's something that will happen on June 10th. Maybe that's something that will happen way down the road. But they, that they could have the possibility of having some movement. With them as well. Although, so I do think that would be super cool. I also know that we were moving so fast. I would be interested to see how much of that you could actually pick up on. So I think the great thing about this ride is that most of the story is actually before you get on the attraction. I mean, obviously the attraction is part of it because that's the actual hunting part of everything. But everything that you need is set up for you before you get on the ride. So when you're on the ride, you can almost just enjoy the thrill of it all. You know, you don't have to try to focus on anything or take anything in or feel like you're missing something. Like you can just kind of enjoy it. And you know what's happening. You know you're being chased by a velociraptor. But at that point, that's all you really need to know. So what was your favorite part? Was it the top hat or was it the Mosasaurus roll over the water? Oh, goodness. I love a good drop. So I did like that there are two launches, and the second launch is the one that kind of propels you up and over. Um, So I, I might go with that one. So the, the top hat. The top hat. The roll, I'll be interested to see how I feel about it the second time. It's just like a wild sensation. You know, just watching it, like we would always go stand by the Miship, the olive, and we would watch it just over and over and over again. And you know that you're suspended upside down for a long time, but it's a completely different thing to feel it for yourself. Yeah, it's uh, it's the I've never been on a roller coaster that made me feel the way that Velocity Coaster did. The only one that is close is Hagrid's. And you know, the other part that I like that might be overlooked a lot is there's one little part of the ride. And again, you can watch all of this happen, but it kind of like bobs and weaves you really quick. Like it makes you feel like you're going to go in for another roll. And then it like jerks you back really quick, almost like you had to make a sharp turn to like dodge a raptor. So that was kind of a, a fun feeling too. It's like a quick change of direction. So final question to you is where do you rank this? In Universal Rides, and where do you rank this in overall rides in Orlando? That's a tough one. I 
I do think this has to be up there in the top three for in the, sure. In Universal or Orlando? In Orlando. Oh. In general. I feel like this has to be a top three. And again, as Disney produces some of these things that I think could be some real competition, I would expect that to change. But I would say Hagrid's still has our heart. Again, not because we're huge Harry Potter fans, but just because it's just mind-blowing. Just the things that they were able to do in a roller coaster were mind-blowing. This is similar, but I do still think Rise of the Resistance, again, just that like mind-blowing feeling, I might still rank that above this. I also think this, for a lot of people, there's a lot of people who I feel like won't want to experience this because it is such a thrilling attraction. You know, like there is definitely a height requirement. There are definitely people who are going to take one look at it and say, nope, not for me. Whereas Hagrid's. Hagrid's is, even though it's a fast coaster. It's a lot more approachable. It's a lot more approachable. There are no loops. Rise of the Resistance, obviously not a roller coaster. So that's a little more family friendly. So I do think, even though we're thrill people, I do think that's part of it. So my official ranking is Hagrid's Velocicoaster, then Rise. And I I can't believe, whenever I rode Rise for the first time, I walked off and said, I don't think I'll ever ride a better attraction than that ever in my entire life. And now I've been on two that, in my opinion, have upseated it. Now, I know a lot of people will think otherwise, but that's just my personal rankings. And to me, that is... That is the beauty in theme park competition because <laughs> Cosmic Rewind has to beat one of these, right? They, yeah, I would, it, it I has hope to. So. It has to at least be the second best roller coaster between the two parks, wouldn't you think? Like, if it doesn't, it's it's kind of a womp womp. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Disney and Universal are always competing, especially in Orlando. Where it's like, okay, where are these people going to go? And I feel like historically, it's interesting that you rank those two first because we are thrill people to a certain extent. And Universal is always known for thrill rides and screens, but thrill rides compared to Disney. But I would say that they used to always, they've always had the better thrill rides like hulk and rip ride rocket they're more thrilling but i always valued story over thrill so that's why you know used to my rankings would be tower of terror and rock and roller coaster and you know space mountain haunted mansion things like that i mean haunted mansion is still my favorite ride if that makes sense i have a ranking of like the best rides and my favorite rides (laughs) the haunted mansion and Space Mountain will always be my favorite rides. But these are my opinion of the best rides. But when they're just their ability to mesh story with thrill, I Disney can't match it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's just, it's an interesting way to experience and to really put yourself into some of these things. You know, like you you feel exactly what they want you to which is why I think we love Tower of Terror so much. Like you are being dropped in an elevator. You are being put into that 
story. Same here. It's just newer. So we will have to check back in 2022 at some point when Tron is open and when Cosmic Rewind is open to see if our rankings are still the same. Do you expect them to be? Or do you think Cosmic Rewind will beat one of them? Or do you think Tron will beat one of them? I hope Cosmic Rewind knocks our socks off. I hope Spider-Man knocks our socks off when we go in July. I hope we leave Avengers Campus and say nothing will ever top this. Because I always want that bar to be set higher. You know, selfishly, but also for, you know, just the idea of keep moving forward. Like, I always want to be able to look forward to something new and to know it's just going to keep getting better. So do you think that's why we're not as excited for Tron is because it's not new? Probably. I mean, I'm still pretty excited because I've never experienced it. But I think that's part of it is that people know what to expect. So it's not as thrilling. I do think, I mean, I think if you asked 50 people, are you more excited for Cosmic Rewind or Tron? I feel like they would lean toward Cosmic Rewind because it's more secretive. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what it's going to feel like because it's a new concept. And it's Marvel's introduction into Walt Disney World. Yeah. So how could you not love it? I'll be there opening day. If anybody, camping want, out. if anybody wants to join me, I'll bring the coffee. If you don't drink it all. They, I like how they kind of strategically placed that little Joffrey's right there, right after mouse gear. It's going to be real convenient. It will be. Joffrey's neat. If Joffrey's, if you're listening, make us a Cosmic Rewind specialty drink. You know you don't even have to tell them that. They're going to have that. They're going to have a donut. They're probably going to have all sorts of stuff. Well, it'll probably be the situation where you have to buy the coffee and the donut. But if you're in line long enough, it might be worth it. So we hope this episode will help you for whenever you go ride Velocicoaster, that just pointing out some different things are helping you get a better understanding to appreciate that story even more. Let us know if these kind of episodes are helpful of doing previews. Obviously, a lot of these storytelling episodes are looking back and doing things that maybe you've missed over the years for attractions that you're getting ready to ride for the next time instead of the first time. So let us know. We would love to get your feedback on that. Any other thoughts that you have for this episode? Oh, goodness. I don't think so. So again, if all of this has whet your appetite to take a vacation, we highly encourage you to reach out to our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. You can go to littlebitofdisney.com, fill out that free quote, or click the link down in our show notes. And as always, if you're looking for the best way to help the show, leaving an iTunes review is the absolute best way to help us grow. It lets Apple know that they should push us out to more people as they are perusing the Apple Podcast Library. So again, thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Thursday, and we will chat with you real soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.